This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Canada has a reputation of being a welcoming place for people fleeing war or hardship in their home countries. But scenes out of Toronto showing refugees sleeping in tent encampments because there's nowhere for them are contradicting the image the federal government would like people to have. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. National Post columnist Sabrina Madeau joins me to discuss why Toronto is struggling to help refugees and asylum seekers, what help is being offered to them, and how the housing crisis is helping to make the problem worse. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, even Amazon Music. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about the show. So Sabrina, one of Justin Trudeau's major talking points, or at least something that I can imagine he'd want to be remembered for, is how welcoming Canada has been under his leadership. And it's it's a lofty goal, uh, one I think a lot of Canadians would agree with, and especially when it comes to refugees and asylum seekers. And when you look at just the raw numbers, he'd probably be right. We are pretty welcoming. Where does Canada sit when it comes to resettling refugees? Well, he said recently that we're number one in the world for resettling refugees. But like you said, that's a surface number that we're talking about. When we uh, say resettling, what does that mean? What happens to refugees and asylum seekers once they actually get here? And more and more, we're seeing that they're effectively being abandoned. They arrive and there's no supports. They're ending up on the streets, homeless. They don't have papers to work. Uh, and it's leading to these really dire situations. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, that there are some some who are running into s- serious problems when they arrive here, and it, especially when it comes to a place to live. Looking at Toronto specifically, how many have wound up in shelters? The latest count in May was over 3,000 refugees in Toronto shelters, uh, which is actually a 400% increase over the same time in 2021. So we're seeing rapid increases in the number of refugees and asylum seekers who are ending up in shelters. And our shelter system is also full. So now we're seeing dozens actually on the streets. There's been a situation where dozens of refugees have been waiting outside of a referral center um, for spaces and shelters, and there's been simply nowhere to send them. So actually now... um, Private groups and volunteers have been stepping in. They were recently bused to a couple local churches to wait there uh, as they wait to see if they can get a spot. And that's just unacceptable when this is the federal government's responsibility. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about these these asylum seekers and refugees out living out on the street, how long has that been going on for in Toronto? For at least six weeks. um, And it's been getting more and more attention as the number of them on the street have been growing. And of course, as media has picked up the story. 
but I'm sure it's been going on for some of them longer than that. Um, and this is one case where attention has been brought to it because they were mostly concentrated outside of one referral center and it was turning into an encampment of sorts. But we don't see the one-off refugees who end up being homeless because they can't find work or they don't have shelter. Um, that's a pervasive problem that's more invisible. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to be kind of mind-boggling for many Canadians, and I can't imagine how it feels for a refugee or an asylum seeker to be living in poor conditions in another country and hope that when they arrive in Canada that they'll be able to find a place to live and they won't be living outdoors and and to wind up kind of in the same situation. Like, what are the conditions like that these people are, are living in and what have they been going through on the streets in Toronto in the last few weeks? It's been terrible. Um, they basically get sent here straight from Pearson, then they're left on the pavement. They haven't been given any food or water by the government. Volunteers have stepped in to provide some of that. No blankets, no tarps. Uh, when volunteers did provide those, security in the area wouldn't even let them cover themselves fully in the rain. And there's been heat waves and thunderstorms and air quality warnings. Um, They haven't had access to washrooms overnight. They can only shower every other day. And there's actually been a few who've ended up in emergency rooms for both physical and psychological symptoms because of the stress and the trauma of being forced to live on the street after already coming from terrible situations. And as you mentioned, they've they've been relocated, some of them to a couple of churches and there are agencies helping them out. What what help are agencies able to provide other than the basic necessities, like maybe some shelter, maybe some clothing and some and some food? Is there anything else that they're able to do for them? He said they can really only step in for the basics, food, shelter. Um, they obviously can't give them working papers. They don't really have the capacity to give them any type of permanent housing. Uh, but they've also played a big role in bringing media attention to the situation and advocacy with the government. And I did see this morning that the feds have stepped up and they are going to provide Toronto with the $97 million, I believe it was, that they asked for. But there's still questions about long-term funding because this isn't a one-time band-aid that can be put on. If we are going to pride ourselves on being welcoming to a record number of refugees and being a world leader in that, we need an ongoing solution. And there still haven't been solutions when it comes to getting them working papers quickly. Uh, Many refugees have to wait four or five months once they get here to be able to work so they can't support themselves at all and have to rely on this government funding. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. 
And for her part, though, she's new to the job. What does Mayor Olivia Chow had to say about the situation? I can't imagine that in her mind, this reflects well on any working partnership with the federal government. No, definitely not. Uh, She came out in a press conference and she looked dead in the camera and said that the federal government wasn't giving the city one cent to help support the refugees and asylum seekers who are here. There is no federally funded shelter for refugees in Toronto, even though they take up 30 to 40 percent of the municipally funded shelters. Uh, So she has been an advocate and uh, she played hardball with the federal government in this case. And it looks like there is at least some funding coming in the short term. And when you say that there's $97 million coming, is that specifically for shelters? Is that to find them places to live that aren't shelters? Like what, what, does that money hope to do? And is it the kind of money that can provide aid quickly to these people? It's the number that the city's been waiting for. Uh, I think a lot of it will go to help with interim housing, but it's generally being given to the city to use as they need to support um, support these asylum seekers. But the city of Toronto has also said it's looking for additional funding of at least $150 million more. So there's a long way to go. Up until now, word that the feds would be providing this funding to the city of Toronto. Had the government offered any explanation for the situation or, or a plan to help? No, uh, there had been radio silence until really this exploded in the last week or so, um, both on social media, on the news, on it was on the front page of the National Post. And that's when policymakers really started to pay attention. And The uh, story was picked up by both Jagmeet Singh and Pierre Polyev. They issued statements. Some MPs wrote letters that they um, posted publicly to Justin Trudeau calling on him to act. And that's why we finally saw action, because of public outrage and pressure. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, this situation doesn't exist in isolation, as it's happening amid a housing crisis in Canada, and as Canada is looking to drastically increase immigration across the board. Do situations like this have the potential to sour Canadians on plans like that, or even to have them question whether we're capable of meeting our responsibility to refugees that we're welcoming here and trying to provide safe haven to? I think it absolutely raises questions whether we're capable and what level of funding we we want to dedicate as a country to this. Um, if Again, if we're going to bring in these people and offer them asylum, then we need to back that up. And if we're not willing to make those financial commitments, then we have to make other tough decisions. Uh, so I think Canadians are becoming more and more aware that there might have to be some trade-offs one way or another. Um, and as it comes to immigration, as a whole where we're seeing record numbers and even the Bank of Canada said there's been an impact on housing prices and it's helping to fuel the housing crisis. Um, that's risky as well if the government doesn't take those issues seriously because we're seeing actually in some polling that Canadians are starting to question their support for immigration more and more. And the last thing we'd want to see is some sort of huge anti-immigrant backlash down the road. Uh, but the government risks that when they don't have a sustainable plan, whether it comes to housing or health care uh, Um, And they are bringing in well over a million newcomers per year. And when it comes to the housing issue itself, are are we any nearer to addressing it? Do we have any signals from the feds that they're kind of getting the message on on what is a brewing crisis in many cities in this country? I don't think we're anywhere near addressing it. Uh, The federal government 
hasn't shown any indication that they're taking it seriously. The federal housing minister recently wrote an op-ed where he argued that mayors shouldn't be held responsible for the crisis when they've historically been holding back housing starts um, and been anti-development. When you look at the targets that we need to reach to get anywhere near affordability, the CMHC says we need 5.8 million more homes by 2030, and we're not even close to being on track. In fact, housing starts have been declining in recent months. Um, and then on the other hand, there haven't been any real demand side solutions, whether that's looking at immigration, whether it's looking at how we treat mortgages and financing. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's no signal that anything is going to change anytime soon, unfortunately. I, I mean, as someone who covers this issue regularly, you know, when you look at some of these circumstances that are starting to kind of push at the seams of things. Do you, do you look at it and you think to yourself, well, of course this was going to happen. How could anyone assume this wasn't going to happen? Or, or what do you, what do you think when you look at the kind of the totality of the issue around housing, how it has downstream impacts to affordability and then even the, the homeless situation? I think you hit it on the head that this everything has been foreseeable. The housing crisis didn't just happen. It's the result of policy choices. Um, even if you look at the effect low interest rates and QE had on spurring rampant, rampant investment in the field and the financialization of the industry, we knew what QE does. That's the actual intent of QE is to create a wealth effect that then hopefully trickles down, and they overshot that clearly. But the problem is that politicians have always prioritized current homeowners, often older voters, people who have been beneficiaries of this crisis. And that's not to say the voters themselves are to blame, but a lot of them don't want to see the solutions that would be necessary um, to solve the crisis, whether that's increased density, whether that's solutions that might result in decreased house values. Uh, and until politicians are held politically accountable for the, for the crisis they've sparked, uh, they have no real motivation to change. Mm -hmm. Well, I know it's a complicated issue, but it's one that Canadians are very keen uh, when it comes to looking for solutions. Sabrina, thanks for your time. Thank you. 10.3 is produced by Tyler Dawson. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Sabrina Mado. More from her at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <music>